you'd open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be taking a look at this topic of finances and asking that God would use our finances for his glory and that he would be honored with what we do in our life. Um, and we're going to be asking that God would do that. Let's pray right now. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would use your word as a mirror to our hearts. Pray, Father, that you would help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to be a people that are responsible with the resources that you have given us. And help us, Lord, to be uh, kingdom-minded as well. Help us to realize that you don't bless us for our own satisfaction, but you bless us so that we would be a blessing to others. And so, Lord, you have put us here to make a difference while you've given us breath. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would help us to see that clearly from your word, and we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, we live in a go-green society, and it's affecting us in every shape, way, and form. You can't go to a restaurant without having to separate out all the different things. You got to put your plastic here, your metal here, your paper there. And now it has people driving these little fly-like shaped cars that get like 60 miles per gallon, which would be squashed like a fly if it got in a wreck on the expressway. Now, if you watch TV and watch all the commercials, you'll notice that even if it doesn't have anything to do with the environment, somehow they, they turn eating a hamburger into being eco-friendly. And so we see this in our society all around. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in stewarding what God has given us. God has given us a planet. I want us to be a faithful steward of what God has given us. But at the same time, I see a bit of a hypocrisy with the eco-friendly, go-green mentality. See, on one hand, we have people that are so uh, obsessed with us taking care of the world and the planet that we live on. And from my understanding, this world has had a pretty good track record of staying around. And it's really in the grand scheme of things, not in their control. And yet when it comes to the things that are, are, that are in our control in terms of our own personal finances and what God has given us, we do a horrible job with maintaining that, and as a result, we make a lot of dumb decisions. See, I believe God wants us to steward everything. He wants us to steward the planet we live on, but I think more importantly, he wants it to come down to personal responsibility on each individual that we steward what God has immediately given us. We know from the scriptures that every single blessing that we have comes from God. Every single blessing. And he blesses us so that we will be a blessing to others. And yet many of us are incapable of blessing others because of where we are financially. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6. And you might notice that last week Solomon talks to his son about sex. And now he's talking about finances and quite a transition from sex to finances. But if you think about it, both are gifts from God. 
Both are gifts from God that we tend to abuse. And so just like last week he said, there are some pitfalls in regards to sexuality. There are also pitfalls in regards to finances. And so what Solomon wants for his son is that he would fall under God's design in both areas. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 6. And I'm going to read the passage first, and then we're going to draw some observations. I'll read the first five verses. It says, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, having given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, save yourself. For you have come into the hands of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, in order to understand this, it'd be good to understand a little bit of Jewish history. For the Israelites, it was not wrong for them to lend to a fellow Jew money. But they were not allowed, according to the law, they weren't allowed to do that with interest. Exodus 22 says this, If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a moneylender charging him interest. Now the Israelites were allowed to lend money with some interest to non-Jewish people. They were allowed to make that a business practice. But they were not allowed to do it with high interest rates because the Bible called that a sin. It called it usury. It meant that they were taking advantage of somebody else. And God speaks against usury. Now another common practice in this day was what they called putting up security. We saw this in verse 1 where he says, My son, uh, if you have put up security for your neighbor and have given a pledge, he's going to talk about what that means. Putting up security generally would be equivalent to co-signing a loan today. And the way that they did that is if they were co-signing a loan for somebody else, there was a financial party and there was a person that they were co-signing for, they would strike hands in agreement that they would be the ones that would be the backing to that loan. And Solomon is going to say in today's message, "Mm, that's not a good idea. Because often in that day, they went against what God designed, and they would charge a high interest rate with that kind of secured loan, and as a result, it wasn't wise. Proverbs 17, verse 18 says this, A man lacking in judgment strikes hand in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. In chapter 11, verse 15, it says this. Solomon says, He who puts up security for another will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to strike hands and pledge is safe. Now, the main reason why this co-signing of a loan was not wise is that, that it generally did not have a good outcome relationships became divided. I mean, you understand that. If you're caught holding somebody else's loan and you are in financial ruin because of that, that tends to put a little stress on the relationship. And Solomon says, generally speaking, this is not a good idea. 
In verses 1 to 3, Solomon warns his son of the pitfalls that he should avoid. Now notice, first of all, who he's addressing. He says, don't co-sign for your neighbor or for a stranger. He uses general words implying that it's not good to co-sign a high-interest loan for really anyone. Now, does this mean that it's morally wrong against God's heart that we would sign a loan for a son or a daughter? It doesn't necessarily mean that because the circumstances might be of reasonable interest rates. But generally speaking, what God is saying is you shouldn't be a slave to the lender. You shouldn't. That's the general gist of what the scriptures are saying. It's not a good idea. Why isn't it? Because verse 2 comes into play. He says, co-signing the loan will create a snare or a trap for one getting caught holding that loan. Solomon wants his son to know that if you fall into such a predicament, I want you to know that you will become a slave to the lender. There will be no freedom. You will become a slave to the lender. Then Solomon lays out three simple things that his son is to do. Notice in verse 3, he has right in the middle, he says, um, verse 3 says, Do this, my son, save yourself, for if you have come into the hands of your neighbor, this is what you're to do. Step one, you're to go in and negotiate. Look at what it says here. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Now, the word hasten here can also be translated the word humble. This word humble means to crush, to tread oneself down, to demean. Basically, what, get what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying is lose all your dignity, all your pride. You go and beg until you are free from your debt and from this agreement. And if in doing so you humiliate yourself, by obnoxious pleading, then I don't care. You are to get out from this debt. Do you see the urgency of what Solomon is giving instructions to? The second step is to not give up. Take a look at the verse 4 and 5. He says, give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Solomon is speaking to the urgency to his son. He is saying, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't let one night pass from you acting on getting out of this trouble. And in verse 5, Solomon makes an analogy with a trapped animal that is trying to get away from the hunter. Now, anybody that has seen a trapped animal, occasionally I'll have a bird like trapped in my garage. It's like banging all over the place, freaking out because it doesn't want me to catch him. And so it will try to get away from what he perceives as the hunter. He is saying, with that kind of urgency, I want you to get out of debt. And number three, I don't want you to be lazy, unwise, and lazy. We see that in verses 6 through 11. We haven't read that yet, so let's read it. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. 
without having any chief officer or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, what is Solomon saying here? In this context, Solomon is endorse, endorse, endorsing hard work and wisdom as either a way out of debt or a way to prevent debt in the first place. Solomon uses the word sluggard, which is unique to Proverbs. It's used 14 times in the book of Proverbs. And it means more than just being lazy. It means more than that. It's often used in contrast to the word upright. Here's an example. Proverbs 15, 19 says, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Therefore, what he is saying here, a sluggard is a lazy person who makes very, very bad decisions. As a result, there are obstacles in his path because he is going down a path that is very unwise. Ironically, Solomon draws a contrast of the sluggard with the ant. And in this case, the ant is the hero. The ant is the example to live by. The ant, even though it does not have a leader, it is very industrious, and it knows that it has to store up for the future so it works in advance in order to do so, and therefore the ant works industriously. It works tirelessly, consistently, to make sure he has food in advance. And then in verse 9, notice what Solomon says. He says this. He asks a question. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Doesn't this kind of sound like a dad to his kids? Okay, how long are you going to stay in bed, son? Come on, you get, got to get out of bed. You're never going to make a living by doing that. This is kind of what Solomon is saying. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? By asking these questions, he is motivating his son to get out of bed early and to work hard. If he doesn't, then poverty will come upon him suddenly the same way a robber or an armed man comes upon an unsuspecting victim. Now that's the exposition of our passage today. So you say, okay, wow, only 12 minutes, we're, we're flying by, we can go early today. No, not quite yet, because we have to apply this to our lives. How does this apply? My friends, whether you realize it or not, what Solomon is addressing is one of the biggest, if not the biggest problem that we have in the United States of America. It's one of the biggest Oh, it looks a little bit different and comes in different forms, but the principle is the same. Many, many, many people, including our country as itself, has become a slave to the lender. According to a recent report that I read this week from the American Student Assistant Journal, it says this, 20 million students go to college each year. Of the 20 million, 60% of this group will take out either government or private loans. 37.1 million people currently in America have student loans. 
All these loans combined, combined uh, create a national debt of somewhere between $902 billion and $1 trillion. Roughly $864 billion of this is in outstanding federal student loans, and $150 billion are in private loans. Now, lest you think that this is a young person's problem, 14 million of the people that have this debt are under the age of 30, and 23.1 million are the people between the ages of 30 and in their mid-60s. This is not a young person's problem. I think we would all agree that these are astronomical, this is an astronomical amount of debt, and yet that is only one part of the problem. If you factor in credit card debts, mortgage debt, second mortgages, auto loans, cash advance, gambling debts, and we as a society are up to our eyeballs in debt. And it's resulting in bankruptcy, it's, in, it's foreclosures, of course marriages are divided as a result of it, and it is a travesty. Now, I wish I could say that this was completely outside of the church and that everybody within the church, this was no problem at all. But if I was to take each person's financial statement and throw it up on the screen, we would quickly, quickly find out that we are a part of the national bigger problem as well. Here's the deal. Debt is a problem that Solomon says we must address with urgency. Now, I think it's worth saying that there are some people that have very little debt, which means that you have a little problem. It doesn't mean that you have no problems. It means that you have very little problems. My wife and I, because we got saved at an early age and we came under teaching from God's word early on, we learned a lot of principles about tithing, about saving, about finances. And as a result, we've never had any credit card debt. We don't have any student loans. We don't have any second mortgages. We do have a house payment and we do have car payments. And so we do have debt. And we could easily look at ourselves and say, hey, we're in the minority, okay? We don't have a problem. Yes, we do have a problem. It is a problem that my wife and I are working at making sure that we get out. We will cease to have a problem when we are debt-free, and that is what we are striving for as a couple. So what do we do? How do we apply this to God's word to our situation? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the same three steps that Solomon gave his son and we're going to overlay it to our culture and ask ourselves, what, what should we do in those three steps? Now, I'm also going to be giving you some uh, total money makeover teachings from Dave Ramsey. Some of you might like Dave. Some of you might not like Dave. All I know is that he's helped a lot of people get from debt to no debt. And so I like that. He's a good man. Uh, you might not agree with everything. So here's the first step that Solomon said. Remember what he said? He said, first of all, and if you're not taking notes and you are in debt, this is where you might want to write a few things down. If you have debt, this is important. First of all, go and negotiate. Solomon is advocating that you tackle the problem head on. 
In order for this to happen, you have to recognize that there is a debt problem in your life. So what do you do? Number one, you recognize your denial of debt and you negotiate a solution. You've got to recognize your denial first and then negotiate. Now, I find that debt problems is kind of like weight problems, okay? Now, yeah, several years ago, my wife and I looked in the mirror and we said, okay, we have a weight problem. We are, we are overweight. And so we said, okay, we, we've been doing this for a, a while and we've allowed a couple decades to go by thinking just a little extra weight is no problem. But what we didn't realize is that a little extra weight accumulates and it led to being well over 40 pounds overweight. As a result of that, we had to make a decision. The first decision was that we had to accept the fact that we were out of shape. We had to stop living in denial. We next had to decide that we were going to do something. Number three, we had to make a workable plan because we wanted to be honoring to the Lord and we, str we stuck with that plan no matter what. Yes, there were, there were family events where we ate. There were Christmas parties. There were times where we would go to a Chinese buffet place. But we got back on the track and we worked the plan. In like manner, many people are out of shape financially. They've allowed bad practices to accumulate over the years. Spending more than you bring in, buying impulsively, using credit cards or extra credit lines to consolidate debt so that you create more debt in the process. The first step for us as a body of Christ is to get in shape and we have to, if we're going to do that, we have to recognize that there's a problem. We need to stop looking in the financial mirror and thinking, hey, everything's okay. No, that's denial. We can't do that. If you have debt, you have a problem. Craig and Kitty said this when we were doing the filming of that video. They said this, we used to justify needing to use credit cards or taking out extra lines of credit for debt consolidation to only go on to create more debt. In essence, continue, continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, which is the definition of insanity. But fortunately, Craig and Kitty, after they got past denial, decided to make a budget and budget their income, allocate funds, and then they denied themselves. They applied delayed gratification, denied themselves the things that they wanted in order to pay off the weight of debt. I've had other people say, Steve, you don't understand the student loans that I have. I had to have student loans to get through college, and I am under such a weight. I want to give to the church, but I can't do it. I can't do it because of, of the problems. I've also talked to another individual who went to his student loan agencies and said, hey, listen, I need to consolidate. I need to work this out. He begged. He pleaded. He worked it out, and they did work out something. I think that this is wise to do that. Solomon said, humble yourself, go, do this, negotiate. This is what we need to do. Step two is this, don't give up. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Persistently work the problem is what Solomon is advocating here. 
like those that start out a diet. You know, we've all started out the diet, and after a few weeks, we're off the diet. We're kind of like that with finances as well. We start trying to budget, and then all of a sudden, we're back to the old patterns. Here's the deal. Don't give up. And it would be helpful at this point to keep in mind the big picture. What's the goal? I believe the goal is based on Matthew 6, 33. It says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does that mean for us? It means biblically our goal is to steward the resources that God has given us so that we can have the greatest impact possible while we're here on earth. Listen to that again. Biblically, the goal is to steward the resources that God has given us so that we can have the greatest impact while we are here on earth. Friends, we are only on this planet once. We only have one opportunity to make a mark for God. And I don't want our legacy to be that we knew how to blow through the resources that God had given us. What I want for us as a body of Christ as Christians is that our legacy would be we knew how to invest for God. Please realize that God is not a genie in the lamp who is there to grant your wishes. What God does is he lovingly, and as a father, blesses us. But don't think that that blessing is because you're all that and that you, uh, you deserve it. <laughs> No, he blesses us so that we'll live to be a blessing to others. That's the way he always works in God's economy. He gives us some, and then when we bless, he gives us more because he knows he can trust us. He blesses us so that we will be a blessing to others. Financial freedom gives us the, the ability to have uh, the means to support God's kingdom work on a regular basis. Are you doing that? And sometimes, if you're financially free, there will be times that extra things come along that you just simply want to be a blessing and be a part of it. I don't know about you, but my heart has absolutely been broken as I have watched what the Iraqi believers are going through as I watch and hear the reports of the massacre of my brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't stand by and do nothing. We have to do something. That's why you'll see in your bulletin in a moment we're going to be giving and we're going to be praying for our Iraqi brothers and sisters. And we have contacted our ministry partners, World Health, and they are setting up a refugee camp in Jordan run by Iraqi believers, and we're going to help supply bandages. We're going to help supply food and clothing to help out with this need. But there are some people that say, I don't have extra. I wish I could say we can just give our general offering to that, but please understand, we live week to week here at Mission View. We're doing a lot in the community. It has to be above and beyond. And some would say, I can't do that. We want to get you there. That's the goal so that you can have an impact on a greater level for God's kingdom. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We build up our resources and be intentional. 
Build up our resources and be intentional. Dave Ramsey says this in his book. He says that under this idea of building up our resources and being intentional, he gives two things. Number one, there should be a $1,000 reserve that we have as a family. It's an emergency immediate fund that we use for house repairs, for car repairs, so we don't get derailed on our plan. We all have emergencies. And please know that a sale on a coach purse or a DeWalt uh, tool or a new golf club is not an emergency. Whatever you do is you don't touch the emergency fund. You need that there as part of the plan. The other thing that Dave Ramsey advocates that I think is wise and biblical is start from the, the he calls it the snowball principle, where you start, start with the smallest debt and work to the biggest. It's kind of like in dieting, seeing the first few pounds come off. You see that success, there's a little bit of a, you know, woo, you can do it, I can, yeah, this is my boost. Once you pay off that first small debt, then what you do is you take the amount that you paid on that first debt and you apply it to the minimum payment that you've been paying on the other debt and you add that to the principal so it's gotten bigger. Once that debt is paid off, you take and put that on the principal on top of the minimum and now you see the snowball growing and eventually all the debts are gone. I believe this is wise. It's not easy, but it's wise. Step three is don't be unwise and lazy. Solomon said that we can either be, if you got this, an industrious ant or a trap bird. That's your choice. You could be an industrious ant or a trap bird. I personally would rather be the industrious ant, which means that I need to work hard. At times, this might mean an extra job, a B job, a C job. It may mean more hours. It may mean that you need to go and ask your boss for a raise. As long as we're not neglecting our faith nor our family, it is okay to be industrious. So what do we do? Get this. We build a safety net and make money work for you. We build a safety net and we make our money work for us. This is a biblical concept. Proverbs 10.15 says this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. In other words, wealth protects that city. It protects that person. But poverty is the ruin of the poor. <clears throat> if you look at the scriptures closely, you will see that God uses wealth as a tool. Now, some believers think that money is evil and as, a, as a result of their misunderstanding of 1 Timothy 6, which says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. My friends, the love of money is what's evil. Money itself is not the evil item. In fact, what Jesus does in the parable of the talents, he commends the person that goes and invests that financial investment, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He commends them for getting interest upon his investment. But for the person that went and buried it, he says, you're wicked and lazy. He wants a return on his investment. God wants us to use money to work for us because God wants a return. 
Dave Ramsey gives three practical things that I think are good under this idea of building a safety net and making your money work for you. Number one, he encourages a three to six month emergency fund. Now you're not going to find a Bible verse that says this other than it's good to have a reserve. It's good to have a fortified city. And so it's good to have three to six month emergency fund. Why is that? Because we go through transitions in life. Five years ago, my wife was at the end of her nursing training, and she needed to take a full year off of work. We depended upon her income. But because we had saved up an emergency fund, we were able to allocate certain amount of money that we gave ourselves a paycheck from savings uh, from that emergency fund. So during that full year, <clears throat> our kids did not starve and go homeless and start begging on a street corner. What we were able to uh, even have a little bit of a vacation that year, but we did that because we were able, we had a vacation, we had an emergency fund set up. The second thing that Ramsey says is maximize your retirement. Now, some people have different philosophies in regards to investment. All I know is that in the parable of the talent, there's an investment made, and God says that's a good thing. I think we got to be wise. We, there can be investments that are like legalized gambling. That's bad. There can be investments that are good. We are to use our minds and we are to be wise in that process. I would say find a good financial counselor because I have found one and that helps me out. Here's what I know. Ultimately, death is our ultimate retirement. And this is what God says about leaving something after we're gone. Most kids will enjoy this verse. Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And finally, he recommends that we pay off our mortgage. This should be done sooner than later. This is usually the final debt that most people have to come out from underneath, and when we have that, we become free completely from debt. So what do we learn we learn that God doesn't want us to be a slave to the lender. That's the principle. And as a result, he wants us to work diligently. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to be wise so that we can steward God's resources so that we can have a greater kingdom impact for him. How's that going in your life? Every one of us, this applies to us. Because we all have money in our pocket, some have less than others. And that's okay. But what we need is to trust God through the process. We're going to be playing that song from Matthew chapter 6 that really is talking about trusting God. And this chapter in Matthew 6 is, is showing how God makes all these provisions for us. He gives us everything. And then at the very end of the chapter, he says, but now this is what you're to do. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God will give you everything else. We're to steward the resources that he has graciously given to us. And so we're going to have a word of prayer now. We're going to take our offering, and I want us to be praying for the, the believers in Iraq. And if you don't have those uh, 
Um, if you don't know what's going on, look at your bulletin. We've detailed it out. The elders have given an agreement that if you mark an offering that's above and beyond for the Iraqi believers this week and next, you'll be able to give to that, and we're going to send it through our world health partners to help give bandages, food, and clothing to our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we hurt so badly for them. Lord, when we see the images on television of our brothers and sisters being crucified in open squares, for them being shot on the spot, for the being buried alive and so many other atrocities, our heart hurts. You tell us to remember our brothers and sisters around the world that, that need you that are under such persecution. And so, Lord, we do remember. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that you would use our time and our money and our resources in any way that we can to be able to use that for your glory. We pray, Father, that as we give this offering, we pray that you would be pleased. We pray for the ongoing work that's taking place here at Mission View, but also when, for those that are able to give above and beyond, we pray that we can help our believers in, in this place. And we pray that you would help us to have a greater trust on you in every aspect of our life. We love you.